invite you to remain standing a moment longer for the, this morning's reading from the Gospel. I'll be reading from the Gospel according to Luke, the 19th chapter, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, some of you that are sports fans know that this has been the week of the Masters. This is my favorite sporting event, uh, not only of the year, but of all time. This is the Super Bowl of Super Bowls. This is, you can't get any better, to my opinion, in a sporting event than the Masters Golf Tournament. It's kind of depressing in the sense that they're playing right now. Uh, because they're expecting severe weather in Augusta, Georgia this afternoon. They literally started playing about 7.30 our time. I didn't even turn the TV on before I left the house, uh, and then I forgot to, to record it. So uh, we're not going to hurry through this. This is just part of my penance, apparently, for, uh, for Lent uh, and, and this being uh, Palm Sunday. But I wanted to talk about the Masters, not just to kind of give them a little bit of a shout-out, Now, not that they need it, but at the Masters, in the experience of going to that particular sporting event, there is much uh, tradition, of course, but a lot of decorum. And it's, and it's expected of the patrons. You see, the Masters doesn't have fans. They have patrons. It's expected of the patrons to adhere to this uh, 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 code of, of good conduct. Uh, you, you, you're not allowed to run. Uh, but I saw a security guard the other day trip Tiger Woods. He was running. The security guard broke the rule he was there to enforce, running and almost uh, knocked Tiger Woods out of the tournament. But there's a lot of decorum, like uh, uh, the ways uh, that you can cheer, uh, but the moments of expectation that you are to be quiet. Uh, it, it's, it's, some people say this is the gentleman's game, and, and no offense to you ladies, because uh, ladies certainly have a great part in the sport of golf, but, but in that kind of civility, there is this expectation that you're going to be quiet, so that these players have the best chance at hitting the best shot at the moment. 
So lots of tradition, lots of decorum. And, and as I was uh, watching that experience when I could during this week, that, that silence thing kept coming back to me. Uh, because people would be talking at, at, at a moment, and as soon as a player began to address the ball, they got quiet. It, they were responding to this decorum. Well, here in this morning's story that I just read to you from Luke's Gospel, uh, the Pharisees want some decorum. Uh, now, I don't think they want the decorum uh, so that Jesus can get his best shot in. I think they just want the disciples and all the crowd that, have, that are rising up in this fervor to be quiet. They don't, the fair, you know, when Aaliyah was talking about uh, uh, people being grumpy, and I think she got, I thought, you know, does that mean that, that you're a Pharisee if you're grumpy? I've certainly been grumpy. Ask Melissa the, the last three weeks, you know, she's, and I don't think I was a Pharisee, but here the Pharisees want silence. Uh, and so sometimes we see them as grumpy, but certainly they don't want Jesus to be seen as king of kings. Uh, Lord of Lords, the Messiah. The, you know, this is not what the Pharisees want, and they, at this point, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, will try to do everything in their power to stop Jesus from being seen by the crowd as the Messiah. Uh, it, it's just kind of a, a, against their understanding of Scripture. It's against their their desire. It certainly is going to harm their pocketbook for a lot of them. Uh, that, that are entrenched in a, in a religion that is denying uh, Jesus as, a Messiah, as the Messiah. Uh, but as I read this scripture, there's a couple other things that started to happen. Maybe it was the, the cop coming. I had a lot of questions as I read this text. I, wa- I had questions like, okay, Luke, you, you're not even clear which town this cult is tied up in. You mentioned Bethphage and Bethany. They're two different communities. Uh, uh, they're not, he's not even sure where this cult is. T- and then he, he sends two disciples, Jesus does, to go find this cult. Well, which two? Was it Peter and John? Could it have just been two that weren't even part of the twelve, the inner circle? Was, was that not important? Well, what kind of, you know, we know it's a cult, uh, which means it's an unbroken animal. It's never been ridden. Uh, what are they supposed to do if the owner says no? Uh, what about this kind of fanfare? Are there cheerleaders there? Is it the disciples? Who told these people to lay their cloaks on the ground? How does Jesus get up on this donkey? It just says the disciples helped him. Did they distract this colt that had never been ridden? How does Jesus, without some rodeo going on, Trying to buck him. What are, what are, so I have lots of questions when I read this text, but certainly the point of the text is not to answer Brian's questions. And if you have them, not to answer your questions. There's something certainly more important afoot here than getting these simple questions answered. And the, and the point is, is we are seeing the Messiah. All these things that, that lead up to Jesus actually riding in to Jerusalem affirm his kingship. When the owner of the cult says, what are you doing? And the disciples say, "Uh, the Lord told us to do this. Well, there seems to be, well, okay. So the power of Jesus' kingship is present. Now the next step is the affirmation, this coming into Jerusalem. And as the Pharisees give their shush to the crowd and to the disciples, uh, we, I want to know, well, if the stones are to shout out, what would the stones testify to? What, 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 what kind of witness are the stones going to give? But before I answer that, I want to read to you some of the fulfillment of the, the prophet. This is what I think stoked the Pharisees' fire. 
The Pharisees who we give credit to uh, for being people of Scripture, uh, of knowing the Scripture that we speak of, at least in Jesus' day, of course, is the Older Testament, the First Testament. New Testament was not present. Jesus didn't read out of the Gospel texts. He was a part of the Gospel text, correct? Uh, So Jesus uh, quotes, uh, 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 or we have this quote from Zechariah, the ninth chapter, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, the arrival of the king, the Messiah, into Jerusalem was foretold by the prophet Zechariah. And so as Jesus is leading the disciples into that experience, the crowd, especially those trained religious folks, the Pharisees, they begin to connect the dots. And they see in Jesus' action here the fulfillment of a prophecy. And and while they have the opportunity to embrace that as you and I do, they were so against Jesus, they couldn't see the truth in the event. And so they are troubled, and their remedy is to try to get the disciples to be quiet. Now, one of the other important things here that that we need to make note of before I tell you what I think the stones would testify to is the fact that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem from the west. He is coming down, as Luke tells us, from the Mount of Olives. This was the expected pathway of the coming Messiah. Whoever was going to be of the line of David... Whatever great king was going to come and to free them from the oppression of the Romans, that king was expected to arrive in Jerusalem from the west. What we find interesting that none of the Gospels tell us, but other historians such as Josephus, the Jewish historian, what he tells us is at the same time of day, on the same day of the week, coming in from the east is Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate does not normally headquarter in Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate, whose experience in what we know as the Holy Land was not a positive thing for him, he saw it as a necessary stepping stone in his vision for his career, he would rather have uh, uh, resided at his resort palace uh, that is called Caesarea Matima, a seaside resort. He preferred to be near the lake. (laughs) He preferred to have lakeside views versus the uh, the, the, the thriving metropolis of Jerusalem. But Pilate, being a good, a well-trained Roman soldier, knew that on Passover, when the population of Jerusalem swells three, four, sometimes five times its normal size, also brings out people who are anti-Roman. And so that threat of rebellion was reason that every year that Pilate ruled over what we know as the Holy Land, Pilate would also enter Jerusalem from the east, not riding on a foal of a donkey, but on a white war horse, present with troops, flexing muscle so that all of these newcomers to Jerusalem could feel the power of military presence in Jerusalem so that threat of rebellion could be put down, hopefully just by show of force, knowing that the Roman governor was in the capital city for the week. So we have these competing forces coming in as Jesus comes into town as a Messiah. Now what might those stones have said? You see, because the people were praying for a king, they wanted a Messiah, they had great expectations, 
They knew after a number of years that when Pilate would come in on his war horse from the east, that this, this Jesus who was coming in in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy from the west might certainly be the one who brought them the kind of peace of their beloved King David of years past. He will be the one to drive the Romans out. But it's interesting. If I had read to you prior to verse 28 in Luke's gospel this morning, you would have heard a parable that Jesus told about a different kind of king prior to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You would have heard Jesus tell a a parable that involves sending ten of his servants out with some wages and the king was going away on a trip. And he gave ten servants, he invested in ten servants some money. And when he came back, he called the ten servants to account for what they had done with their money. And the first servant had made quite a bit of increase on the investment. And and the king said, well done, well done, you are to receive even more. The next servant brought in a little bit more than what he had been given as an investment. And the king patted that servant on the back. Another servant came in and said, I held on to it because I know you are a tough king. You sow in places you don't own and you expect great. So I just at least wanted to give you back what you had entrusted to me. And that servant, and we don't know about the other seven, we don't know what they did, but in those three servants we see the servant who held on only to what had been entrusted, giving back only what had been entrusted was chastised, imprisoned. So that's the kind of kingship that Jesus talked about immediately before coming into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And so here are these stones. What might the stones testify? The stones might say, actually, your king is here. Your king has arrived. Your king is on that donkey. Your king is riding across those cloaks that have been thrown on the ground. Your king is being received by people waving the traditional sign of royalty entering. This is your king, but it's not the king that you hope for. It's not the king that you expect. The stones might say, people, you weren't listening. Actor Rob Lowe tells a story of, of being invited to the White House. I couldn't figure out which president, because <laughs> we always ask that question too, which, was, which president invited Rob Lowe to the White House? I couldn't find the answer to that question. But Rob Lowe took his children uh, to the White House, and before they went, he said, Now kids, you're going to see one of the most important people in all the world, and this person is due great respect. You've got to give this person respect. It's almost like the masters. You've got to have some decorum. And Rob Lowe said, as they're meeting the president and and he's introducing his kids, one of his sons says, look, Dad, there are squirrels. The son was more impressed by squirrels playing on the White House lawn than being present with the president of the United States. They weren't listening. And that's the way you and I are so often. The king is presented to us. The king comes into our midst, and yet that's not the king we wanted. That king doesn't give me a pat on the back for the things that I like to do. That king doesn't give me permission to be the person I want to be. That king is not the one that I wanted. But friends, I think in the, uh, in, in the passage of Scripture today, the good news that we see in here 
is that not only has the king come, but the rocks would shout out, your Savior has come. Yes, the king is here, but also your Savior has arrived. This is good news for us. Some think he will force us as Savior to do his will. Okay, We, we, we have Christian brothers and sisters in other faith traditions that, that just think that's what Jesus is going to do. When, when Jesus comes back, he's going to force us to do his will. And if we don't, we'll be punished. But friends, as Wesleyans... With free, with free will, in other words, freedom of choice, rooted in us, we have choice. So we say, no, that's not our understanding. Jesus will rule, but in the meantime, Jesus gives us choice. And so we're not forced to believe, we're invited to believe. We're invited to be transformed. We're invited by God's love to invite Jesus into our life as Savior, as Lord as the Savior not only of our lives, but of the world. Jesus enables us to love back. This is the good news. Author Arianna Huffington talks about going to the Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany. Has anybody gone to that Passion Play? Anybody seen that? Have you heard of it? There you go. Some have experienced it. And Arianna Huffington says, man, this is magnificent. This German town, every ten years... Everything all in, they're going to tell the passion story, the life of Jesus, and it ends with the passion story. The resurrection, I mean, the, the crucifixion and then the resurrection of Jesus. It's a powerful event. And Arianna Huffington says, while she's sitting there watching this, as they're telling the story of Jesus' life, here are these vendors walking through the crowds selling these cheap religious trinkets. She goes, they're, they're telling the story of Jesus chasing out the money changers from the temple, and here are these people selling cheap religious trinkets while the play is going on. And she says, here you have this, the stories of Jesus and his miracles, of, of turning water into wine, of talking about living water, and here's these vendors selling their soft drinks. And so here's all these distractions of the world, and Ariana Huffington said no matter what was going on there in the crowd, she felt this powerful peace as the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection unfold. Friends, Jesus enables us to receive these stories and to make them life-changing events for us. That's good news that we are enabled and we have this, this grace that allows us to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of you and I want you to be a part of me. Reminds me of another story. From World War II, Sir Douglas Bader was a, uh, was a senior pilot with the, the British uh, uh, Air Force, the Royal, Austri or, excuse me, Royal Air Force. Uh, he was shot down over Germany. Uh, and it was strange that uh, uh, while uh, Sir uh, Douglas was uh, imprisoned in a hospital recovering from wounds while he was shot down, a British aircraft, another British aircraft, was allowed to fly over the hospital and drop a package. Uh, and, and this package uh, had a note that, that was addressed to the German flight commander of the Luftwaffe at St. Omer. <laughs> there had been some communication went on when people are sending bombs and shooting bullets at one another. The commander of this hospital this, this, uh, and, and the Luftwaffe detachment at St. Omer communicated to the British and said, Hey, uh, Sir Douglas needs a leg. 
See, Sir Douglas had lost a leg. And when he bailed out of his aircraft, his leg didn't come with him, or he, he lost it. And so apparently the, the Germans had communicated to the British that Sir Douglas was in good health, he was recovering, but he needed his leg. And they were allowed to drop one of his ten legs at the hospital so that Sir Douglas could walk. Well, you know, as soon as the Germans gave Sir Douglas that tin leg, four times Sir Douglas tried to escape their custody with that leg. The Germans finally decided at nighttime they would take Sir Douglas's leg away from him so he couldn't escape. That's how they controlled Sir Douglas. Sir Douglas wasn't freed from captivity until the Third Army freed him three years later. He lived in captivity, a hero, survived being shot down, followed the British officer's code of conduct, trying to escape. He did everything, but he needed help. He needed help from the Third Army to gain his freedom. Folks, we can get an extra leg, we can get a new hip, we can get a new attitude, but we can't free ourselves from sin and death without the help of Jesus. We have to have Jesus. He wants to be a part of our life, but He gives us, through love and grace, the opportunity to say no, to reject Him, to put Him off, to say another day, I'm not ready for your kingship, Jesus, but that breaks God's heart because God loves us so much. Those stones would not only say, here's your king, but the stones would tell us and do tell us, here's your Savior. Won't you invite Him in? But I think the third stones would say, the third thing those stones might say is that you need a heart change. Maybe not a transplant, but a change of heart. You need to be willing to, to allow Jesus to come into your life. Don't just acknowledge His presence and power, but invite Him into your life and allow your life to be different, to live that life differently. Uh, I, I read a story about a, a, a woman who was teaching some three-year-olds in Sunday school. And she said, you know, if Jesus were to come to your house today, what, would, what do you think your mommy would do? And one of the kids said, she better clean house. <laughs> she better clean house. Well, that's true, friends. We do need to clean house. We do need to get things that stand in our way of a relationship with God out of the way. We, we need to get cobwebs out. We need to get the dust off. We, we need to make room for Jesus. But then we need to welcome Him into our lives. The great C.S. Lewis told a story. I just want to summarize it. He said, you know, when, when we receive Jesus, when we give our lives over to Jesus, we... We let Jesus, you know, address a couple of sins, maybe one or two sins in our life. And then we feel pretty good about ourselves, he said. Feeling pretty good. I've, I've let Jesus help me get through a couple of things. And it's almost like, C.S. Lewis says, it's almost like we say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. I'm okay the way I am. I've, I, I know Jesus. I acknowledge Him as Lord. But, but I'm just not ready for anything else. And, and C.S. Lewis goes on to use this image. He, says, he said, imagine this. Uh, you've got a house that, that needs some repair. And so you invite someone to come repair your house. It's like the little girl. I need Jesus to come clean my house. And Jesus shows up and begins to work on your house. And Jesus gets the gutters that you've been uh, not taking care of. Jesus addresses the drainage coming off of your roof. Gets your gutters you know, repaired and, and gets a few spots in your walls and your roof repaired so you don't have any more leaks. And you're thinking, all right, I'm, I'm ready now. 
But Jesus doesn't stop there. All of a sudden, some walls start getting knocked out in your, in, in your house. You, 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 you didn't need Jesus to change your floor plan, but He does. He begins to, to knock down some walls, and He begins to, to make some room and change the floor plan of your house. And, and C.S. Lewis says, that's what Jesus really wants to do. He wants to give you a new floor plan. He wants to give you a better way of living in relationship with Him. But we don't want Him to do any more than patch the roof and fix the gutters. We think we can do it on our own. And friends, those rocks say not only is Jesus your King and your Savior, but you've got to let your heart be changed. You've got to let that room that you've built in your, in your house not be so stoic, so entrenched, so rigid that you don't allow Jesus to come in and help you change your heart. Because that's what it means to have a Lord. That's what it means to give your life over to Jesus, not just in simple acknowledgement, not just by walking down an aisle and saying, I, I, I profess my faith in Jesus, but real change. Real change. And that's what this Jesus who rode into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, that's what he wanted his own people to do. And we go on and we read the story and we see plenty of his own people rejecting him. Not all, but enough. But the good news is, friends, it's not just for the Jewish people, this, this faith, this life, this life that's filled with love that Jesus offers us, it's for you and me. And in just a moment, we're going to come to his table and we're going to have the opportunity to receive a part of him, his body and his blood, to kind of help us remember, but also to, to help us kind of seal part of the deal that we are his people and that we're willing to live the life that he wants for us. Because if we don't say it, if we don't do it, Sure sounds like the stones will. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.